Yes, the time is here. The time is now. The time is upon us. Wednesday night, all the summertime angst and preseason hype is going to be a goner. The season is destined to begin. Wolves, number 35. I'm hoping we can see things that we've never seen as long as they've been around and I've been alive. And that's a basketball deep playoff run. I mean, past the Western Conference Finals, may everybody be healthy. May Jaden McDaniel sign a big fat contract and become generationally wealthy. Yes. May the bench sneak up on fools and go on consistent 10-0, 12-0 runs real stealthy. Oh. May Mr. Brown Jr. hit threes like Malik Beasley from the corners. May Shake Milton live up to his name and shake and bake and take and display them skills and may Ant become what we all thought he was going to be. Yes, the sir. second coming of MJ, Dwayne Wade, Kobe, May Cat become not the big meow, but hit him with the big blah from way downtown. Bang, I cream, might say. Timberwolves season 35 is here in the Coach and the Culture podcast is bringing it to your ear. Freestyling, can we get more excited? You've been invited. The fire's been ignited. I came with this off the top of my dome. No yes, need sir. to write it like a Fade away. May the distant memories of dysfunctional franchise fade away. <laughs> Somebody about to get played today. Yeah, Starting with the Raptors. Wolves coming with the NBA Rapture. Ooh. Then they're going to bring the heat into Minnesota in October. Jimmy yes, Butler's a thing of the past and all that yap yap and tough guy act is over. We coming through tanking like no limit soldiers. Left hooks and uppercuts like cat watching videos of gorillas wrestling before games. That's right. I'm going insane off the top. I can't wait for the first game. Yo, I'm just clowning, man. What's yeah. happening? Super producer Lloyd Leon. I'm Frank Sintwali. Coach Frank in the building. I'm sorry, y'all. I got a little excited. It just came off my chest like that. Every once in a while, the the the, the spirit just moves me and grooves me, and I got to spit that freestyle poetry. Ah, you did that. You did. Man. That was nice. I like the energy, man. Hey, look. It's coming upon us, man. Wednesday uh, the new, uh, the new year. Oh, man. And I'll be on stage. I have to be watching the game on DVR because I got a show Wednesday night. So I'll be rocking the mic and somehow I got to stay focused on delivering my lines and, and and not be worried about, you know, is Ant going to start off like nine for 13 and have like 23 in the first half and the Toronto, uh, Ontario crowd will be quiet, you know, or is he going to be out there, you know, having one of them one for sevens and, uh, and start off slow and have, have everybody going, uh oh, here we go. You know, I got I can't concentrate on that Wednesday night until I get home, man. I got to focus on my work. But as soon as I get back to the crib, boy, I'm gonna be a wreck at work on Thursday morning because I'm gonna be up late hitting the rewind on right. the DR after Aunt just go off and posterize somebody. Oh my goodness, this week's gonna be crazy, man. I'm super excited. Again, pardon me, y'all. I can't contain myself. <laughs> 
It's a bit, it's an exciting year, man. It's a lot to look forward man. to. Look, all, all of the, all of the optimism from last season that I had, that I felt and how I felt like it was all going to really come together more quickly than people realize. And, you know, I have to admit as, as somebody who played the game and understands how hard it is to really, um, intricately involve you know, post players and especially a new post player with a really unique skill set. I underestimated things a little bit, just a little bit, though, because before Cat got hurt, I had predicted a 48 win season when everybody else was like in the 50s. But even still, I underestimated a little bit. So I'm trying to contain my enthusiasm. Not very well, but I'm trying. <laughs> and uh and I think this is going to be the season, man that in a really competitive West, uh, we're going to look back and be like, oh, yeah, they they knew what they were doing. They knew where the league was going, and that's why they stacked up on really tall, active players. If anybody is equipped to deal with the Joker and AD and the alien, I mean, Whippin' Yaba. (laughs) Bad guy. You know what I'm saying? That guy. You know what I'm saying? That that dude, every time I see him play basketball, I think back to Robin Williams at House Party at Test 2, baby. <laughs> I think bro, that brother in a lab somewhere, man. That dude got that dude got Kryptonian DNA. Right. Now, the way somebody seven foot five is supposed to be moving like that. It's different. I'm gonna see if Ant try to dunk on him. He's gonna try. I'm a, man. He's man. gonna try. Look, that's uh, <laughs> if, if Ant puts Web and Yaba on a poster, that is going to be like the most highest selling, grossing poster ever. I know Jaws gonna oh, try. Oh, you think you, you think he's gonna try? No, I, I, I think a lot of people gonna try. A couple people might get him, but uh, there's gonna be a lot of bodies on that pile. Of those yes, who died and those who died. <laughs> but that's all right, though, because I think at the end of the day, the Wolves going to be the better team. So, you know, but Victor's going to be sure. fun to watch. Man, today's show is uh, all about um, some brief player previews and some season previews. But before I get into that, I got to give some shout outs, man. Got to give some shout outs. Uh, I have to shout out the ladies from the Boy Links podcast, uh, new podcast. And, uh, uh, Anna and, and, uh, and oh my goodness, I'm drawing the blank on the sister's name. I, I want to say like Aja, but that's not it. I need to go on Twitter and look it up. Um, the ho- horrible, horrible podcast preparation right here. But, uh, the ladies on the Boy Links podcast gave me a shout out, man. Uh, I got a chance to meet them and it was a lot of fun. Uh, just hanging out with them, talking basketball with them. Um, I, I, Angie, Angie, that's right. And see, I had to, I had to get it right before I could even go any further. Angie, um, they gave me a nice shout out, man. I went and hung out with them and watched a, a half of preseason basketball and talked a little basketball. And so I appreciate the shout out ladies. If you haven't checked out their show, it is unique. It's creative. It's funny. Um, their, uh, approach to how they talk about the Timberwolves, um, I think is really clever. Dare I even say cute? It's a fun listen. Um, and so if you haven't had a chance to check out the Boy Links podcast, um, definitely check that out. I got to give a shout out to, uh, 
my guy, Johnny Krasinski. Uh, Johnny also gave me a shout out. Uh, as a matter of fact, during his live podcast, he and I had a good conversation, um, the day before his live podcast at, um, at, uh, Headflyer. And, uh, and during the podcast, he gave me a shout out, uh, talking about the conversation we had about Ant and, um, the fact something you and I have talked about on this podcast about he still hasn't quite learned to win at a high level. And, and, and John, Johnny brought that up, uh, on his podcast and shouted me out by name. So much love to him. If you don't read his work at the athletic, if you don't check in, um, the John Krasinski podcast definitely checked out that out. I got to give a shout out to Britt. Britt, we're going to get you on the show. Also, John, we're going to get you on the show. Um, all, all of these people have offered to come on the show. So we're working on our consistency so we can have these wonderful people, these wonderful guests on our show. Britt is hilarious. Uh, Britt Robson, uh, he writes for Men Post. He's often a guest on Dane Moore's podcast. And Britt and I got a chance to actually meet and, and chop it up. He did the, the dual podcast with him and Dane over at Falling Night and, uh, finally got a chance to really just talk with him. Funny, funny guy, man. Straight shooter. Boy, his, 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 his mouth pistol don't curve at all. If you in the line of sights, it's going to be true to the aim. <laughs> and I love that about him. Um, so yeah, uh, good conversations with him. And then, of course, oh, and Jim Suhan, always a pleasure talking to Jim Suhan. Um, um, sports writer over at the strip works with John Krasinski on his podcast. And uh, it was good to see him again. Michael Grady, the voice of the Timberwolves got a chance to meet him and uh, chop it up with him. And I kind of hit him with that little inside information that I had on him. He said, boy, word travels fast around here. And I had to tell him, you know, welcome to my city. Everybody might not know me, but I know a little bit about everybody around here. You know, this is, this is me Island. <laughs> so, uh, so it was funny to see the look on his face. Like, I don't even know you and you know stuff I said in private to people. Yeah, bro. <laughs> I got ears. I got ears. I'm satellite around here. <laughs> and, uh, no, that was really fun. And listening to him talking, man, his voice is just as smooth live as it sounds when you listen to the Timberwolves broadcast. And of course, I got to give a shout out to Dane Moore, Dane Moore's NBA podcast. Um, just a super cool dude, always listening to his podcast. Uh, does amazing work, so thorough. And, uh, we talked a lot about basketball. Um, and every time I run into him, I learn something from him. He gave me a really nice compliment as well. And so, uh, I know we're doing something right. And, uh, it's wonderful to be a part of the mini podcast. Oh, I can't forget the Crunch Wears No Pants, fellas. The Crunch Wears No Pants podcast. I got a chance to meet them, uh, when I was hanging out with Chilanga, when they were hanging out with Chilanga at, um, at, uh, Parkway Pizza. Um, for the, for the crossover, uh, C and D podcast and the crunch wears no pants. I got a chance to chop it up with them. So, uh, the Timberwolves podcast family, I think I can call us that as we all have kind of intermingled, um, is, is really fun. A lot of fun people, passionate people, passionate about basketball. Everybody's bringing their own angle to the podcast world. So check them all out. You guys check them all out. And, 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 and of course, stay with us, the coach and the culture, as we look forward to a progressive year two. we're only in year two, man. I got an alert on my phone and, uh, it was an alert that, uh, basically was a memory, uh, from the second episode last October. So basically we are one year complete and now moving into year two. So here we are on the coach and the culture, formerly the coach and the crooner, now 
and going forward, the coach and the culture podcast. So let's get into it, man. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, this episode. We're going to talk a little bit about what I call the desperation dozen, uh, twelve the 12 players that and the coach, the 11 players and the coach that will most likely have the biggest bearing on how this Timberwolves season shapes out. Um, and then we're going to talk a little um, season preview. Then we will perhaps throw in a little bit of the gauntlet that is the Western Conference. And if you thought the Western Conference was a test of your nerves last season, it is definitely going to be a test of your nerves this season. So don't get too high and don't get too low with one win or with one loss. I think that uh, the teams that can figure out a way to have a nine and one stretch, to have a six, seven game winning streak, that might be what holds, right? I think you're going to see that uh, teams that can pull that off, that'll be their margin at the end of the year. What I mean by that is a team that goes nine and one uh, over a 10 game stretch, that eight game gap might be eight games over 500 at the end of the season. They might play 500 the rest of the way. Or the team that can go on a six, seven game winning streak that might end up being a team that's six, seven games over 500 at the end of the season and they play 500 the rest of the way. And that could be the difference between being a playing team and a three seed in the Western Conference. I think it's going to be that tight. So we'll talk about that a little bit later. But uh, before we do all of that, really quickly, Lloyd Coop, the super producer. How was your weekend, man? Anything anything exciting happen? I was just uh, recuperating from this uh, busy week, busy work week, and uh, I'm looking forward to this new season. Man. Saw a couple of preseason games, and like we were discussing there, the whole alien. I little Buddha. <laughs> I mean, I, I was watching some of that, the Golden State. San Antonio. Yeah, San Antonio. And my God, I saw this man block three three-pointers in a row. Yeah, he's definitely going to be a, a brief topic of conversation when we get to talking about the Western Conference toward the end of the podcast here because he's he's a difference maker. And San Antonio immediately goes from uh, a lottery team to, you know, uh, definitely, I think, uh, fighting for a playing spot and maybe even more when you put him with the talent that they've been grooming the last couple of years and, you know, put the coach, there's the exclamation point. So we'll get into that. But before we do all of that, this is a Timberwolves podcast. So let's yes, talk. About, let's talk about our boys. Being that this is the coach in the culture podcast and I coach basketball and have coached basketball at quite a few levels uh, in the youth game for over 20 years now. I would like to start our podcast with Chris Finch. Last season, I had to actually, for one of the few times, I had to just block some people that I don't know if they were trolling or if they were just totally basketball ignorant. But too many people were calling for Chris Finch's head last year without really applying the entire context of the job he was doing and what he was dealing with. Uh, to what was taking place. And I just thought that was ridiculous because here he is going into his third full season already, you know, which also is an indictment on the Wolves history, but already the second winningest coach 
in Timberwolves history and uh, taking the team to back-to-back playoffs in his first two full seasons and expected, I think, around here to not only make the playoffs, but kind of the mandate is we need to win a playoff series here in season three. That is almost unparalleled success around here as a Minnesota Timberwolves coach in their 35-year history. Uh, So the idea that people were calling for his head and uh, micro-scrutinizing his end of game, what they perceive to be execution by his players, the lack of discipline overall by the team, the idea that they underachieved last year, although not willing to give the caveat that they were fighting in a really, really even competitive Western Conference without, to that point, their leading score uh, for the last however many years, right, that Cat's been around. Um, and the idea that they were so bad defensively yet ended up being a, a eighth, I believe, in the league in defense, uh, and then, <clears throat> you know, the criticism of him supposedly being an offensive guru, guru, but they finished 23rd in the league on offense. But when you take out 24 and a half points a game on top of, you know, five assists and then add to that the hockey assists and just the attention, the gravity is the, is the catch word, but the attention that Carl Anthony Towns receives from other defenses uh, that you're going to take a hit on your offensive efficiency. You're going to take a hit on your offensive rankings when you're losing a player of Carl Anthony Towns magnitude. And I think all things considered the newness of the roster to each other, the intricacy of mixing Rudy Gobert into that lineup, the difficulty and maybe blending D'Angelo Russell for, you know, two-thirds of the season, basically, almost two-thirds of the season into that lineup and the well-documented, seemingly, feelings, issues that he had acclimating to Rudy and vice versa. Um, When you put all that together and you put in the idea of how tough the West was and how fragile things were, we like we just talked about, you could – win two games and be in the fifth spot and then lose two games, the next two games and be in the 10th spot or the 11th spot. Right. And when you have a young team, uh, Jaden McDaniels and Anthony Edwards played the most games, you know, appeared in the most games out of anybody on the roster last year. And they were 21 and 22 last season. The fragility of all of that and how it could have easily spiraled, into something much worse than a 42 and 40 season and making the playoffs by winning a playing game, right? It could have easily gone south at any given time. Matter of fact, there was a number of times throughout the season where it looked like, okay, this is it. The wheels are coming off. And somehow, some way, Chris Finch, a great baseball manager over 162 game baseball season, managed to just keep things even keel enough to keep the ship, you know, uh, navigating rocky waters 
and not falling apart just enough that by the time the season ended, I think they walked away feeling pretty good about the personnel they had and feeling pretty good about what they were capable of enduring their resiliency uh, as a basketball team. And that's what happens when you have a really good captain. And Chris Finch, I thought, um, was the captain and commander of that ship last year and really had to coach multiple teams in one season. You had to coach a team that you were trying to put together. And then you had to coach a team that suddenly lost Carl Anthony Towns and some key bench pieces along the way. Jordan McLaughlin's injury um, affected how the second unit would operate versus I think how he perceived it would operate at the beginning of the season. Uh, the struggles acclimating D'Angelo and Rudy. I really think Tim Connolly thought that Rudy was going to kind of really help D'Angelo Russell and vice versa. And it just didn't work out that way, whether it was a personality clash, play style clash, expectation clash, whatever it was. And Chris Finch had to navigate that. Uh, and then, you know, when Cat came back, you have almost a whole nother team. And mind you, all of this coming in the, in the face of this was only Chris Finch's second full season, you know? And so really this year is the first time. I think going into the season, he can say, okay, I have a roster of players that have familiarity with each other. I'm not coaching a new team. Yes, there's a couple new faces that I think is commonplace in the NBA with every team, um, that there's some tweaks when there's not a major overhaul. But I think that, you know, this will be the year that Chris Finch can say the things that I've installed weekend fine tune and supplement and, 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 and varnish and shine versus constantly having to install and then reinvent what was installed or pivot, you know, in a moment's notice. Uh, so looking for the season, what will we be looking for in Chris Finch? Obviously the rotations beyond the starting five. Uh, is going to be interesting to see how he plays chess night in and night out with other teams' personnel without creating so much inconsistency in the minutes and roles of players like Nas Reed, Kyle Anderson, um, Troy Brown Jr., Shake Milton. Nikhil Alexander-Walker seems to have a pretty set role, at least for now, looking at the preseason. That's his to lose, so to speak. Um, but Chris Finch, watching how he, you know, manages the beginning of fourth quarters after the game is played for a little while and he's kind of got a sense to see who has it on a given night outside of the guys that you almost have to trust as your starters, your big money guys, um, and how he matches up, you know, into fourth quarter. I mean, uh, beginning of fourth quarters, uh, coming out of the third quarter break where a lot of times you have some mix and match of, bench players and starters on the floor. What are those bench players that's going to be on the floor during that time? I think that we can pretty much uh, guess that his first half rotations is going to be pretty, pretty set uh, with, with Kyle and Shake Milton um, and, and Naw maybe coming in the game, Kyle and Shake maybe coming in together with some stagger, uh, stagger um, 
or Nah and Nas coming in together with some stagger, you pretty much know that that nine, that starting five and Kyle and Nah and Nas and Shake are going to be the ones that get those first minutes um, in the first half with, you know, some other guys sprinkled in depending on how guys are, are playing in that second quarter. But then it'll be really interesting to see who he goes to at the end of third quarters and the beginning of fourth quarters um, based off of who's playing well on a given night and who's bringing what they need energy-wise or shooting-wise or rebounding-wise on a given night. So watching Finch manage that will be, <clears throat> I think, very pivotal to their success, especially early. Uh, this is a team that has to stack wins early. I think you're going to see some desperation coaching early or him coaching as if these early games are, you know, April games, May games, um, because they have to get off to a good start. They can't kind of build their way into the regular season. And I think Finch, is, Finch knows this. He's been talking about this in his uh, media sessions. You know, I think going into Toronto on opening night and spoiling their opening night would be really good for vibes for the team. Uh, but if that doesn't happen, if they don't go into Toronto and get a win on that opening night, uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, depending on how they play and how they lose, if they don't win, it'll be interesting to see already in game two, uh, what that Miami game looks like, because I, I don't think the Wolves, you know, obviously it's not panic mode. But I don't think you want to start off with any type of losing streak. I think you don't want to, you don't want to be in a position where all of a sudden you got the Hawks coming in. I mean, you got to go to Atlanta. I'm sorry, on October 30th in game three and you're 0 and 2 and already the whispers are starting to creep in. So how Finch navigates early, uh, how he goes about things right away in terms of, uh, stamping the importance of getting wins. Is going to be something to watch. You know, we talked about it last year. Charles Barkley uh, once said that he hated the beginning of the regular season because the bad teams don't know they're bad yet. And right now in the NBA, everybody thinks that they're pretty good and probably rightfully so, because I would venture to say talent wise, there's more talent in the NBA across the board than there ever has been in the history of professional basketball. Uh, that doesn't mean the teams are the best they've ever been, but I think individual skill, there's more skill across the board uh, than there's ever been in a game that is being played in an open style where skill gets a chance to showcase itself um, in a way that perhaps it's never really had before. So, you know, how Chris Finch manages injuries, this is going to be interesting. Um, because they're going to come, and again, the pressure is on, you know, and and he's shown that he can keep the team level-headed, but what happens if early, you know, God forbid, Cat or Rudy goes down for five, ten games early? You know, what happens if <clears throat> Ant retweaks that ankle that seems to have been bothering him off and on, really, since last year, um, and has to miss a few games early when you're really trying to build momentum and get off to a good start? You know, how does that depth that we believe that they have shine through? And again, how does Chris Finch use it? Um, because the games are going to speed up from preseason to regular season in a five and oh preseason, as much as it's great for fans. The end of the day, it means nothing. Everybody's zero and zero. And, uh, the way teams approach second halves are going to be different. The way teams approach game planning is going to be at a regular season level. Um, so Finch has got to be on his A game. 
out the gate. And on top of that, I think that if people were kind of putting it in, in, in the air, I think foolishly calling for his head last year, can you imagine what the whispers are going to sound like if they get off to a 0-2, 1-4 start? Especially if they get off to that start and they're not playing well um, and they're having the same bug that bit them at the beginning of last season, which was mostly effort, right? The beginning of last season, we talked about how those losses were a lot effort-based. Some of those bad losses early, they just weren't playing as hard as the other teams that they were going against. And we'll see if they've learned that lesson. We'll see if they have. You know, he said that they're a more mature group this year. I don't know if that's putting it into the ethos and trying to manifest it or if if he really means that uh, based off of what he's seen. Uh, the proof is going to be in the pudding the first time they get punched in the mouth. You know, as, as Mike Tyson says, and, and Finch used this quote recently, you know, uh, everybody's got a plan until they get hit in the mouth. So we'll we'll see how the Timberwolves respond to pressure early in the game. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about structure versus flow uh, with Chris Finch. I still think that this team with the youth that they have in those critical positions, it's going to be really hard to put too much structure in, in terms of like having them play like a grizzled vet Memphis grit and grind team, or, you know, those Utah teams where it seemed like every other time down court, they were running a set play. But I do think that structure in initial spacing is going to be something that we hopefully see early and you're going to see play calls, but I think you're going to see play calls with a whole lot of option bases, right? So there'll be structure, but there'll be a lot of read and react with a lot of options off of what you read and how you react to it. And so I think that can lead to fun basketball. Um, but that how much, how many plays, set plays that they're running early is also, I think, going to be an indicator on how they're going to approach this season, um, versus how much free flow, um, Watching the last preseason game against Chicago, I don't know if Finch told Ant, you're only going to play a half. Let's see, go out there and get us 20, show that you can, you know, give us 20 and a half and just kind of make it, make it announced. But he was awfully aggressive. He, you know, he knocked down shots, but he was also awfully aggressive. Uh, so we'll see how that keeps. Of course, Cat didn't play in that game as well. So, um, all of those things are things to look for and more, but the energy around the team, I think early is going to be what I'm looking for most from coach Chris Finch. I think he feels like he has a team that he has um, the pulse of. And I, I hope um, that he's excited that he actually in his third full season here has some things established. It sounds like there was a lot of conversation in the offseason and a lot of building around um, player input in the offseason. Sometimes that can be good. Sometimes that can be bad. You know, so we'll, we'll find out what that looks like. Um, but I do love the way that he shouted out Rudy in the New York game about how Rudy did only took one shot. And yet at the same time, he um, didn't complain, did, didn't grope, um, didn't gripe, excuse me, word I'm looking for, and uh, and went out there and just did his job, and that's what it's going to take. Like, if he's got Rudy bought in to that, I think that's going to be huge for this team. So, um, Chris Finch, the first of our desperation dozen, 
from the coach's perspective, he's got to be excited about the continuity. They've been preaching about it. We talked about it even before last season ended, right? I think I'd like to say that we were probably the first podcast, man, to really talk about the continuity that was missing the difference between Denver and the postseason and the Wolves and how um, they needed to run it back and not when people were talking about trade cat and all this and another thing, uh, we were one of the first ones to talk about continuity and uh, the Wolves, Tim Conley and Chris Finch have been talking about it ever since. So coach Finch, you have your continuity. Uh, you are in your third full season. Uh, you're healthy right now. You have somebody who's perennially led top 10 defenses and you have somebody back who's perennially led top 10 offenses. So now can you put all that together? So that's what we're looking for from Coach Chris Finch, a top 10 and a top, uh, defense and offense. Is this team more mature? Has he gotten this team to buy into p- valuing possessions, defensively rebounding the basketball, not turning the ball over, doing the winning things? Because if you're going to be a top four or five seed in this West, you have to rebound. You can't turn it over. You have to value possessions, plain and simple. Doesn't get any more, you know, uh, simpler than that. So does he have a team that's playing like a mature professional basketball team throughout the course of 82 games? J-Mac, little J-Mac, the shorter one, <laughs> Jordan McLaughlin. He's looked really good this preseason, man. Uh, he looks like the J-Mac that we had two years ago plus with a little chip on his shoulder, a player that looks like he knows what he can do and um, is playing with a lot of confidence in what he can do. The arc on his shot looks really nice. One of the things I noticed watching him shoot this preseason, his release looks smooth and uh, not as kind of jerky. He had kind of a jerky push toward the end of his release last season. And sometimes when you don't have your legs underneath you, that can be easy to do. You end up throwing the ball more than shooting the ball. Uh, his mobility looks to be back. He looks to be willing to take risks again, which he has to, uh, to try to sneak some of those steals around and lay in the weeds and really accelerate to the ball. Uh, and, and he looks like the type of player that knows that on a night where the second unit is struggling to get flow or pace or rhythm he can be brought in the game to kind of change that energy but uh, a player that probably also understands that he's only going to play in those circumstances right Um, but he looks like he's ready for the role he also looks like a player that understands that what he does this season is not just important for the Timberwolves but important for his NBA career uh, no matter what happens with him after this season, he, I think, understands that if I want to stick around in this league, uh, I've got to show that last year was the outlier and that the previous year and that what he's going to show this year is who he is as a player when healthy. Um, but he's going to be, in my opinion, that 11th man, which uh, doesn't necessarily mean that he won't play. Um, and won't get his share of minutes, but I think it's going to be very circumstantial and situational. But if the way he's played this preseason is evident of 
how he's going to play in those situational uh, moments, those circumstantial moments where he's uh, called upon, then I think that he is better than a lot of the league is going to have as that 11th guy, um, as that third point guard. You know, he reminds me so much of Ish Smith uh, without quite, you know, Ish Smith is more of a scoring mentality. Um, but in terms of the the energy and tempo they play with those little guys, and if Jordan McLaughlin can be in his style of play, as good as Ish Smith is sometimes in his spot minutes, where all of a sudden you look up and Ish Smith is on Sports Center highlights and he just snuck around and come off the bench and gave somebody 18 points in a game that, you know, he doesn't even play every game, right? If Jordan McLaughlin can be that guy that can, in, in the games he plays, give you eight to 10 points, two for three from three, you know, six, seven assists, one turnover, a couple steals, you know, and and really be a game changer each time he steps out on the floor. That's going to go a long way toward helping this team win ball games. But I think he knows his role. Uh, that's going to be a common theme here as we go through the players. And I think he is more than ready for his role. It's a role that he's familiar with. It's a role that he's played before. And I think he's more than ready for his role on this team. And I think that's really important uh, for the, as we talk about this team being maybe the deepest the Timberwolves have ever been and definitely deeper than last year. Troy Brown Jr., pick up from the Lakers. The last pre, the last two preseason games, he's reminded me of Malik Beasley in terms of, um, his willingness to knock him down his willingness to take him, his ability to make him. And uh, the, the play that really comes to mind is uh, the, the, the baseline um, double screen. He came off of staggered double. He came off of, they hit him in the corner, quick release three, knocked down. Um, the quickness of the release was, was something that I hadn't really seen from him. Of course, not having watched him play a lot, Um and he's he, but he also has that streaky, and and shooters are like that. And I think he's going to remind fans when he gets his shot of Malik Beasley in the sense that there are going to be games where you know he's one for six, and you're like, man, why does he keep shooting? Because that's his job, right? And then there's going to be those games where he's four for five and on fire, right? And uh, and and so. I think he's going to be better defensively than anybody they've had in that role. Right. That Torian Prince, Malik Beasley role. I think he's better defensively than both of them. He gives you Torian Prince's size, um, but he's more mobile than Torian Prince. Um, and so as a 10th piece, having somebody that when he's hot, you might look up and he got 14, he has 14 points on, you know, four for six shooting from three and a couple free throws in 16 minutes you can't beat that efficiency right and so and he's going to get minutes he's going to get playing time he's probably going to be somebody that comes off the bench for offensive possessions at the end of quarters end of a half right and he's going to get he's going to get his his share of minutes especially if he's shooting the way he's been shooting lately don't be surprised if even though he's a 10th man don't be surprised if Chris Finch doesn't go 10 deep early in the season, just based off of the way he shot the last couple preseason games. I think preseason we saw what we're going to see from Troy Brown Jr. 
early in the preseason. The shot form looked a little discombobulated. He didn't look comfortable in his body. And as the preseason got on, went on, you got later in the preseason, maybe his legs starting to get underneath him a little bit. All of a sudden that shot looked really smooth and it looked really smooth from deep. And I think going back and watching the first couple preseason games to the last couple preseason games, the uh, smoothness in his shot and in his release has definitely increased. And I, and I think maybe that just comes with getting your game legs underneath you. Um, but if he can fulfill that role, if he can, if he can look like, you know, Malik Beasley, Torian Prince and fans can be patient on the off nights and know that it's all going to average out at the end. I think Chris Finch likes to say generally you shoot with your averages are. So if Troy Brown can give us 39% shooting, um, and the fans can accept that that's not going to come in a, he's going to go, you know, three for eight, you know, four for 10 every game. I think that it's going to come more in a one for six, uh, followed up by a three for four, three for five, uh, two for seven, <laughs> you know, followed up by a four for seven, four for six, right? It's not going to come where he's just every night knocking down shots because that's just not realistic. That's not how shooters, especially shooters that aren't playing 35 minutes a night. That's not how it goes for them. There's going to be those off nights, but those on nights are going to help them win games. So uh, I think that's what fans can look for for Troy Brown Jr. I think Chris Finch is smart enough to know that's how shooters generally work. Um, and he's going to help them steal some games with shooting, uh, I think, from that 10th spot on the bench. Let's move forward to Shake Milton. Uh, I have him kind of, uh, at the nine spot in this order, right? Of, of players in my, in my desperation dozen. But I think Shake, Naw, Kyle, and Nas, uh, maybe with a little bit more priority on Nas are going to almost be interchangeable in how many minutes they actually play. But Shake Milton is going to be so important, I think to the ceiling of this team. If he can be everything that we thought Jalen Noel was going to be, because he's going to pretty much fill that combo guard, off the bench, scoring guard role. Um, if he can fill that role uh, in the way that we think that he can, in the way that he's shown so far this preseason, in the way that he showed in Philadelphia when he got his shot, that's... uh elevates the ceiling for this team massively. If he can be a player that is giving you double-digit scoring a game off the bench in that 11 to 12 range even, that's with high efficiency, that's a game changer. That That's a game changer. If they can help him out defensively um, because he is not really super quick laterally as a big guard, He's got length, he's got size, uh, but he can be blown by <laughs> on straight line drives. And so that's going to be his, you know, how do we, how does he funnel people and not get blown by? How does the help side be aware when Shake is guarding someone out higher, guarding on the ball that they can't do like Cat did in the, um, last preseason game that they both played in? 
which was the um, three preseason games ago, the game before the uh, team from Israel came in, drawing a blank on who they played offhand. Oh, New York, New York game. Um, yeah, Emmanuel quickly just blew right by Shake Milton and went and got an and one. But uh, really, that was on Cat. And and the reason why that was on Cat is because Cat was had his back turned to the ball, a a a criminal no no in help side basketball, and Shea got blown by so fast. By the time Cat turned around, it was too late, and Cat had no reason. Uh, he was guarding Jericho Sims, and Jericho Sims was out beyond the three point line, and there was absolutely no reason for Cat to be pulled high above the foul line with his back turned to the ball. And so, you know, little little coaching nugget, hopefully those things don't happen at all during the regular season. But that's, you know, a, one of the things you have to be in danger of with Shake Milton. Uh, he's a guard. He's a big point guard is what it amounts to. Um, and he's, again, not super quick laterally. And so there's going to be times where he's going to get first stepped by the Emmanuel Quickleys of the world. And the help side defense has got to be alert and be aware and be there. But if they can, if they can cover for him, you don't even necessarily have to hide him because he's so long. You just have to be a deterrent and cover for him and be and understand who's guarding the ball in that sense that Jaden's not guarding the ball, that Naw's not guarding the ball, that Shake is not those guys and that the reaction time that you have as a help defender is going to be less when Shake Milton is guarding the ball and the way to, um, prevent uh, detour guys from trying to straight line drive past shake is already being in your help side position and being alert so that they see that you're there so that the offensive player reading the floor reads okay cat is at the nail above the foul line and he's guarding Jericho Sims who's not going to shoot a three-point shot so there's not really a driving lane for me there and that's how you help shake and I'm pretty sure when Emmanuel quickly saw Cat had his back turned and was outside the lane line and pulled up high that he knew he had, you know, barbecue chicken, as Shaq will say, in the form of Shake Milton. So uh, if they can help hide Shake uh, on defense, um, he can really, really, really cause damage with that second unit, especially if Ant is out there with the second unit. Because Ant has so much gravity, you have to pay attention to him so much that uh, if you have, if you're left to guarding Shake Milton one on one because you have to pay, you know, you have to have four eyes looking at Ant, then he's going to really be able to capitalize off of that. Um, so his role, I think, is vitally important to their ceiling. His success, you know, that him being able to be healthy and give them, you know, twelve to fourteen points off the bench on a regular basis could be the difference between them winning 42 games and 48 games, you know, or 44 games and 50 games. I think Shake Milton is that important to what the Timberwolves want to accomplish. Um, and I think he's relishing that role. I think he knows that. And, and it, it shows from the preseason games that he understands that I can, Chris Finch is giving me the green light. I can go get a shot whenever I want. And, um, there's going to be a lot of nights where he's hard to match up with in that second unit. And he can play with a lot of people. He can play with Ant. He can play with McLaughlin. He can play with Naw. He can play, you know, as the one, as the two. Uh, so he's, he's going to be really vital to what they do. He can play with Kyle Anderson and play off the ball 
and he can play with Kyle Anderson and play on ball and let Kyle Anderson operate the secondary action after Shake creates um, in the primary action. So he can really do a lot of things for this team um, in a lot of ways, many more things than Jalen Noel can do. And hopefully he'll be that efficient off the bench score. Really excited about Shake being on the team, really excited about his role. And I think, again, he's a player that he's going to help them win some games and steal some games over the course of the regular season. If Ant's having an off night or if Cat's having an off night and they still put up 120 points and you're going to look up and be like, oh, well, Cat had an off night, but Shake gave you 20. You know, um, Ant had an off night where he was, you know, four for 15 because ask, you know, until he proves me wrong. Ant's still going to have more four for 15 nights than I'd like to see out of a quote unquote superstar player. Um, but on those nights where Ant has those off nights, a shake Milton nine for 12 is going to look real good. Um, let's move on to Nikhil Alexander Walker. I think Chris Finch, coach Finch has given him every opportunity to be a glue guy supreme on the team. He's going to play one. He's going to play two. He's going to guard one, two, and three. Uh, he's going to take a lot of three-point shots. Uh, some nights he's going to be on. Some nights is going to be like the new, uh, the, uh, Chicago game, uh, the last preseason game where, uh, the shots not falling. I think he struggled shooting a little bit in the New York game, but much like Troy Brown Jr., um, Fans are going to have to learn to accept that if Nas shoots 38, 39% from the three point line, it's probably not going to be a steady diet of three for eights, four for 10 nights. It's going to be a steady diet of one for six, one for seven, followed up by, you know, four for six. Did he have some struggles doing the, uh, the Lakers series? Uh, I remember maybe defensively, was he? A- Inefficient. You 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 mean uh, the Nuggets series? Or are you talking about the Laker playing game? I believe the playing game. Yes. Um, I don't remember offhand what he shot. Um, well, defensively, I was. Well, I was. No, now Torian Prince did. Another <laughs> hand. Uh, yeah, Tor- Torian Prince did. Um. Nas been pretty consistent on the defensive end of the floor since he's been given a, a big role, right? Mm-hmm. And that's why I think he's going to get so much run. Um, and I think he showed it's kind of like once you, you know, when I'm teaching, I like to tell my students that complain about how they can't, you know, in air quotes, can't do an assignment. And then you push them and you poke them and you prod them and then they do the assignment and they do it really well. And then you say, okay, so that's the expectation. Now you can't tell me you can't do it because you just did it. And not only did you show you can do it, that you excelled at it. So you've kind of told on yourself and Naw kind of told on himself in the, in the Nuggets series. And, and after Jaden McDaniels got hurt and kind of shown his value. So now that's the expectation. We expect you to put forth that type of energy on the defensive end of the floor. We expect you to be that type of impact player. Every time we put you in the game. And as you saw in the preseason, you know, when when Jaden didn't play, Naw started. When Jaden played and Ant didn't play, Naw started, right? And so 
you you can already know or if Conley doesn't play, Nas gonna probably start, you know. Um so you can see that uh he's gonna be kind of the answer at a lot of different backcourt positions, uh whether it's foul trouble, whether it's injuries, again, whether it's an off night, and he's gonna he's gonna shoot the three ball. He's gonna get him up. And so again, I caution fans to you can't be like, oh my God, he sucks if he has a two game stretch where all of a sudden he's, you know, two for 13 from three in a two game stretch. Because the next two game stretch, he might go, you know, six for nine, six for 10 from three. Um, and that's at the end of the season, it all averages out. As Chris Finch said, we believe that, you know, you're, you, you shoot what your averages are and it all kind of evens out in the end. And so fans are just going to have to be patient if Nas having an off night and for Nikhil Alexander Walker, an off night shooting the ball just can't affect anything else. And I think he's at that stage where it won't. I, I truly believe he's at that stage where he understands that first and foremost, it's about what I do on the defensive end. Can I be a player that goes and helps this team rebound from the guard position? Um, and, and can I be solid in those areas? He can get away with not scoring a lot of Shake Milton is scoring, right? Um, from that backcourt position. So I, I think Naw is going to be one of the most important players on this team. I was listening to, um, I believe it was Dane and he was talking with either Kyle Tige or Chris Hine. I can't remember which one, but he was saying that, um, they were saying that they think Naw might, you know, lead the team in three point attempts. That's going to be. Uh, awfully difficult task because we know Cat and Ant are going to get him up. <laughs> but, um, but Naw obviously also seems intent on getting him up and he's going to get a lot of open looks from, he moves really well without the ball. He knows how to find his way to the open spot. He seems to have really good footwork and getting set up and getting ready to shoot the ball. He seems to be, uh, confident and not hesitant at all when pulling the trigger. And you just can't guard everybody. You can't, you can't help off an ant and you can't help off a cat and, you know, then still be able to get to somebody with gnaw who can do multiple things with the basketball in his hand. And if he's knocking down shots, especially earlier in the season, that really creates a problem because he's fully capable of driving to the basket and making plays for his teammates. Um, which is one of the beauties of this team is you got a lot of guys that if you run them off the line, they can make plays. Um, Nikhil Alexander Walker, I think, um, is going to be important for how steady the team is throughout the course of the season. I mentioned that I think that Shake and, and Troy Brown and, and J Mac can kind of help them steal some games to elevate the ceiling, right? I think Naw is really important for the floor of this team coming off the bench. I think his, his role hopefully will establish a good cement foundation in the, in the floor of the house of the target center, right? So to speak, so that um, this team doesn't have too many lows in terms of losing streaks, for example. Um, I think he can really be important in helping them stay consistent in how they play game in and game out so that they always have a chance to win games, which is, you know, for a bench player, not something you always say, but he's just going to play so many roles. I think that, and, and I think he can play all of those roles well, and that helps ground you as a team when you have a guy uh, who uh, 
is is capable of doing so many things at a high level and who's young and athletic and energetic, right? And long. He's just got so many things to bring to the table. Um, and I think and confident and secure and cerebral, you know, uh, who's a student of of what's going on in the NBA and his matchups and things like that. So I'm really high on Naw this year. Uh I think uh where he's at mentally is uh seems to be a really good place. And so uh, I'm excited to see how he balances out the roster. Uh, let's move to Kyle. Slow-mo. Uh, lots of talk about how Kyle Anderson possibly could be the odd man out and how he might get less minutes. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing uh, because, one, that means guys are healthy. Uh, and, two, that means uh, they're able to maintain his physical health uh, throughout the course of a season. Uh, I, he's above a, in case of emergency break glass guy. Um, but I definitely think that in combination with Nikhil Alexander Walker, you know, Kyle Anderson is what he is. He is the Swiss army knife. He is the ultimate glue guy. I think that his, um, minutes to be able to play the three and the four defensively are going to be vital because it's going to allow them to be kind of matchup dependent. Whenever Cat and Rudy or Cat or Rudy is on the floor or Nas Reed is on the floor, whoever's, you know, the best offensive player, three, four, five out there, especially if Nas out there, let's say with Shake Milton. So Nas guarding the two and Shake's guarding the one or Nas guarding the one and Shake's guarding the two. Whoever's more uh, much of a threat between the three and four for the other team, you can stick Kyle Anderson on that player and he has that defensive versatility. There's been talk about how he's better at the four spot than the three spot. I, for one, the way I look at it, um, from my coaching mind is you're playing what you're guarding and offensively, uh, Kyle Anderson is as positionless as it can get. Uh, you have to put the ball in his hands and allow him to make plays. I would like to see them put the ball in his hands with the shot clock winding down less because he's so deliberate. So he's not necessarily the person I want to have to make the play with four seconds left on the shot clock. Um, hopefully that'll be Shake Milton or Ant if he's out there. Um, but I do think that early shot clock, um, early fourth quarters, you might see that even though he doesn't play a whole lot in that uh, early rotation, a lot of minutes, he might be the player you see early fourth quarters, depending on game score and, and matchup because he's just so efficient at running offense in the half court. He's just, he's so good at it. He's such a good point guard uh, when he's running half court offense, especially when he's out there with Rudy. Uh, and if you put him out there with Rudy and somebody like Shake, maybe to begin the fourth quarter and Shake's playing off the ball, spotting up and Kyle Anderson and Rudy are running actions. Um, I think that can be just lethal. Maybe if Nas is out there with him, spotting up and you have that spacing with Shake and Nas spotting up um and and you're running that that th those actions with Kyle and Rudy in the fourth quarter you just feel got to feel confident you're going to get a good shot every time and so I love I I'm curious to see Kyle Anderson's fourth quarter minutes especially early in the fourth quarter coming out of the fourth quarter break even or last sub at the end of the third quarter on a dead ball. I'm curious to see if he doesn't spend a lot of time on the floor during that, those times, if he is only playing 12, 13, 14 minutes a night, um, will 
six of those minutes or seven of those minutes be consecutive from, you know, the last minute of the third quarter and the first six minutes of the fourth quarter. Uh, I'm curious to see how that's going to play out. I'm also curious to see if Chris Finch is uh, willing to kind of bypass some guys uh, if he has to match up at the end of games and closing lineups and go with Kyle instead of Rudy or Kyle instead of Jaden uh, McDaniels. So I'm curious to see how Chris Finch is going to manage that with Kyle. And I'm curious to see how Kyle's energy and attitude toward how he's managed. Uh, he seems to be the ultimate professional. And if they're winning, I don't think Kyle Anderson is going to complain about playing 14 minutes a night if they're winning. Uh, if they're executing down the stretch of games, if they're not winning or not executing, it'll be curious to see what his approach is and also curious to see how long the leash coach Finch will have with the guys that he's trying to go to if they're struggling in fourth quarters early um, or even late at closing time um, because Kyle Anderson is such a security blanket. Let's go to everybody's fan favorite, Nas. Everybody loves Nas. Um, and I love Nas's game too. I mean, his game just pops. Uh, he, he plays with a lot of force and quick decision making for his size. Uh, I know he's been playing center because the NBA has gone smaller for most of his career. Um, I like him at this at the power forward spot better than I like him at the center spot. Height wise, he's a power forward, not a center. Um, skill set wise on offense, he's whatever you need him to be. I loved in the last, uh, preseason game, I believe, uh, I want to say, yeah, the, the, the Chicago game. Maybe it was, no, the New York game. I love how, um, no, I'm sorry, the Chicago game. The closeouts, I'm not, yeah, the closeouts to him in the Chicago game were indicative of a team watching film and seeing a guy light up New York <laughs> right from the three point line. And, even if announcers from other broadcast teams in other cities don't know Nas's game, believe you me, players around the league know Nas's game now. And they are respecting Nas's game. And what I love about Nas's game is, as you saw Chicago close out to him like he was a threat from the three-point line, as you saw them not give him as much space before the closeout, they stayed at home a little bit on him so that they were in closer proximity by the time he caught the ball and they were able to deter the shot on the catch. First couple times he caught it, he took threes that were a little rushed. He was getting them off quick and he didn't make them. They weren't smooth. So what does he do? He goes in ball cuts and gets a nice and one. He goes and seals down in the post and gets to the free throw line, gets a little jump hook off, right? And I love that because you're going to have to pick your poison with Nas. If you're going to close out hard on him, he's going to play his guard game, or he's just going to move the ball and then dive on you and just big man you down there. Or you give him space, and he's going to knock down the three. And if he can keep it simple just like that, he's going to be so effective. And I think you're going to see a lot of games out of Nas Reed where he's got 22 points in 19 minutes, 24 points in 20 minutes. I think he is going to be highly efficient and highly effective in limited minutes. Limited is relative to starter minutes, right? Much like we saw 
during that one week stretch at the end of last season before he broke his wrist, uh, much like you saw early in the preseason and kind of throughout the preseason. Um, he's got a rebound. He's got to show he can defend. I think he will be a better perimeter defender than his reputation. One of the things about these guys' reputations on defense and rebounding especially is you got to realize Nas was so young. So when you're comparing him to, you know, when they say so far over his career, Nas hasn't done this well. Or so far over his career, he hasn't proven to do that well. Well, so far over his career is undrafted, got a G League, some minutes with the big club, a little bit more minutes with the big club, now a vital role with the big club, age 20, age 21, age 22. He's a young player. You can't really say he's not capable of or he's bad at something when he's a young player getting limited minutes, learning his way through the NBA. There's a lot of things that aren't going to look good for most players under those circumstances. Now is when we can start evaluating Nas. He's got his contract. He's been in the league some years. He has a a concrete role. He has player identity in terms of what he knows who he is as a player, and he understands what he needs to do as a player. Now this year, we can look at Nas on defense and say, is he an average defender? Is he a better than average defender? Is he a bad defender? You can't, in my opinion, base it off of these first few years in the league because most young players, most, especially young players without role definition, without consistent minutes, um, and really without positional definition, even though say he's been a backup center, yes, but he's a tweener. He's been an undersized center. He might have been better served in learning how to be a power forward all along. But in order for him to get on the floor, small ball center minutes were where he was going to be able to effectively utilize his skill sets and his his body type. So I caution and kind of cringe when I hear announcers or podcasters say, well, Nas has been a below average defender. Well, most 22-year-olds, especially undrafted, you know, or 21-year-olds under five years in the league, traditionally are going to be bad on defense. You know, very few come into the league with NBA defensive acumen. So I'm looking to evaluate Nas this season on defense. How does he guard the perimeter? Because I believe he has the mobility to do it. How does he defensive rebound? I believe he understands the value and significance of it. How does he affect the defensive um, uh, paint protection this year? Not what he did his rookie year or his second year or even his third year because those were growing pains. So to say he's a bad defender or a bad rebounder is relative to the idea that he was also a very young player in a very inconsistent situation in terms of minutes and role and expectations. He was growing into where he's at now. So that's my thing with Nas. I'm looking forward to seeing what Nas does this year. Does the game slow down even more for him? Uh, does he understand how much of a force he is with second units and the fact that most teams will not have even a four in the second units that can match up with him? So that's where I'm at with Nas. Starting five. Starting five. We're going to start with Mike Conley. 
I believe it was Chris Hine who said it uh, on Dane Moore's podcast the other day. I could be wrong. Could have been Kyle Tige. Uh, but one of the two of them said that they feel like Mike Conley is the most important player on the team. And I agree with that 100%. We kind of saw it in the last preseason game, the turnovers when Mike Conley is not running the show. He just is the general out there. He's, he's Paul Paul Conley out there on the floor, man. He, and we know that he's likely to suffer some injury. Hopefully it's minor tweaks, things that even if it's kind of like, uh, if it was playoffs, he could play, but we're going to shut him down for four or five games because we have to um, manage him throughout the course of the season. But when he is on the floor setting the tone versus when he is not on the floor, it's just night and day. It's just night and day. And he looks like the elder statesman out there, elder statesman out there. He has a calm that even when he doesn't have the ball in his hands, it just seems like where he goes on the floor, when players know where he's at, then they know where the ball needs to go next or they know where they need to go next in spacing, how they prepare for games. The fact that he has come into this season looking absolutely, absolutely ripped. His shoulders look more broad. His biceps look bigger. He just looks like he is prepared to have one of the best seasons of his life at 35, 36 years old. And to me, that's an uh, indictment on his understanding of how important he is to this roster not only is it important for him to be on the floor, but how important it was for him to make the statement about what they need to come into this season looking like and behaving like in terms of preparation by how he's prepared himself uh, to come into this season. I feel like he's going to shoot 40% plus from the three-point line. He's just not going to take bad shots. He's going to take rhythm shots. Um I'm so excited to see what Mike Conley looks like at this stage of his career with this cast that he has around him and the role and responsibility as coach on the floor that he has. He's Chris Finch's extension. I I think that they will call more plays this year, but I don't think Chris Finch will call more plays this year. I think Mike Conley will call more plays this year. I don't think Chris Finch is going to have to call a lot of plays in terms of how they get structured or get um, organized into how they're going to flow from different sets and different spatial dynamics. I think Mike Conley is going to handle that for him. And as a coach, if I can have a point guard that sees it the way I see it or sees it before I see it, if I can have a point guard that's like, coach, A, B, and C, I got this. So-and-so has this mismatch there. Justin to it like this. We're going to call this. I got this. Don't worry about it. That just makes life so much easier and so much better as a coach. Chris Paul gets a lot of credit for how he runs and manages teams. Uh, Draymond Green gets a lot of credit for how he runs and manages teams. LeBron James gets a lot of credit for how he runs and manages teams. I think this year Mike Conley is going to get a lot of credit for how he runs and manages uh, the team on the floor whenever he's on the floor and from the bench. So uh, I'm, I'm trying to keep these short and sweet coaches' mindset. Uh, Mike Conley is, I think, 
the person who not only uh, is the gnaw of the starting lineup, not only does he establish what the floor is going to be for the team, but he more than anybody else establishes what the ceiling is going to be for this team because 70 games, 65 to 70 games of healthy Mike Connolly, a super effective Mike Connolly mentally and physically, um, I think that's where you start saying this team can win high 40s in a Western Conference where mid 40s is going to probably be a five seed and not only high 40s, but they might sniff 50 um, if Mike Conley uh, has the season that I'm thinking he's going to have. And very sneakily, I think he's going to be very important at closing time because right now, for me personally, if I have to have somebody on this team take a open rhythm three, not necessarily a game winner, but an open rhythm three to go from up one to up four, to go from tied to up three, to go from down one to up two in the last three minutes of the game, last two minutes of the game, who do I trust on this team more than anybody else to make that open rhythm three? It's probably Mike Conley. Not Cat, not Ant, not Jaden, which isn't to say I don't trust those guys, but who I trust the most right now to make that critical shot, that rhythm shot, not to create their own shot, not to not to make the ESPN highlight shot, but that you have to have it professional three-point dagger, ball movement, rhythm, swing, swing, wide open, professionals on serious team with serious aspirations don't miss this shot. The one I trust the most is Mike Conley. So I'm going to move on to Rudy Gobert. Uh, There's a great article in the Star Trib by Chris Hine on Rudy Gobert and much talked about his 64 hours in the dark room. Uh, It was a great joke that somebody said on on Twitter that said 64 hours in the dark and isolation is what we call a weekend in December in Minnesota. (laughs) I thought that was hilarious. Um, But yeah, um, Rudy Gobert is under the microscope. And if he can do like he did in that New York Knicks preseason game and take one or two shots and yet be a plus 12, plus 14, dominate the game in terms of deterrence in the paint, rebound the basketball, dominate the games in terms of screen setting and rim rolling. If he can do probably the most important thing for this team, in my opinion, for Rudy on offense is rim running and transition. He has to rim run. He has to pick him up and put him down, run straight to the front of the rim and seal. If he doesn't get it, one one thousand two, slide over to the dunker spot opposite of whatever side of the floor the ball's coming down on. If he can do that with consistency, that's going to make things so much easier for Ant and so much easier for Cat, so much easier for Conley. Um, so much easier for Jaden to get wide open looks and transition from the corners. Uh, Rudy is going to have to play with, I think, more pace and energy than maybe he had to in Utah. And he's going to have to figure out and accept where he fits as a cog in this machine and be happy not being the machine. You don't have to be the whole machine. You just have to be this really vital part of the machine. And that goes into also this idea that, you know, 
lazily people talk about how Rudy was played off the floor during the playoffs in Utah. And I, and I did some numbers because I was curious to see what the issue was with Utah during the playoffs and the years that they really excelled on offense during the regular season. And those, and in those years, they had a first round exit and a second round exit in the playoffs. 2018, 2019 regular season, the Utah Jazz averaged 112 points a game in the playoff series. They averaged in one series, they averaged 98 points a game. 2021, 2022 offensively regular season, they averaged 113 points per game. And the playoffs, they averaged in two series is they averaged 99 points a game. So, when we talk about structure and flow, we talk about Rudy's impact on the offensive end to the end of the floor. And we talk about why Chris Finch's offense is so predicated around wanting flow while still understanding that with Rudy, you have to have some structure to help out everybody else. I think it's really important that early they have structure and over the course of the season, they build toward flow for Rudy because if you are solely built on structure, when you get to the playoffs and the play sets, the play designs become predictable due to the level of scouting that teams do, you have to be able to play out of flow. You have to have players that are creative and improvisational um, within the spacing that they have. And that's what Utah didn't have outside of Donovan Mitchell. Everybody else on that team, um, and maybe Jordan Clarkson, who was hit or miss, everybody else on that team needed the structure of the offense to be, to excel, and they couldn't just go create for themselves with any consistency. So once you took away the multiple screen and roll game with Rudy, the guys you were kicking it to, if they couldn't get that wide open shot off, now your offense is in trouble. I think that if the Timberwolves want to avoid that same fate, they can't be overstructured. Now, they do have more players that are capable of creating their own shot. However, you can't be overly structured. And I think for Rudy to learn how to play and flow better, just like for Rudy to learn on the defensive end how to play higher out on the floor and not be so comfortable in his old habits, and for Rudy to be able to sprint the floor and not veer off and set screens um, high out on the floor too often in transition because cats coming down in the trail for Rudy to make those adjustments, be comfortable in making those adjustments Um, for him to continue to develop that symmetry with Ant. There's so many things that are important for Rudy Gobert for this season to show that he can do. Hopefully he learned last season what he's not good at and that to expect and demand that from a team is detrimental to the overall team success. So straight Rudy post-ups, hopefully Rudy learned last year that, oh, I finally got my opportunity to do straight post-ups and a team that would give me the ball, and that's not what's best for the team. And it's not what's best for me. And I don't look too great doing it, and then that negative energy of me not looking too great doing it um, starts to affect not only the team dynamic, but the fan base and the collective energy around the team. So one of the things I'm hoping about last year was as much as it was a learning experience for guys learning how to play with Rudy, I hope last year was a learning experience for Rudy and who he is and isn't as a player and maybe getting the opportunity to do things that he always thought he was capable of doing and always wanted the opportunity to do. Well, you got that opportunity. 
You had a chance to do those things. You learn where your limitations are. And hopefully you can go back to the things that make a team really dominant with you on the floor and not so much be worried about the things that you wanted the opportunity to do that you were excited to show you could do that the Utah system didn't give you a chance to do. And you learn like, oh, well, maybe they were right in Utah. Maybe I'm not so great at these things. Let me go back to doing what I'm great at. And if we can get that Rudy, the Rudy that's just focused on going back to doing what he's great at, along with being amicable and amendable to doing some of the things that he could be really great at doing at, and he would just buy into them, that's going to be huge for the Wolves. And hopefully Mike Conley helps that process. Again, going back to Mike Conley, maybe being the most important player for the ceiling of this team. Um, Hopefully that, you know, that, that can be uh, a symmetry that makes Rudy comfortable in, okay, I only took one shot, but I was plus 15 tonight. Or I only got three live dunk attempts, and that's the only time I touched the ball from a scoring standpoint on offense. But I had, you know, I led the whole floor, both teams in screen assists, things like that. And can we get back to being the leading rebounder in the league? Can we do that? And then can we rim run? Knowing that we might not be rim running always to get the ball, but we're rim running so that Cat can take a 26-foot three instead of a 29-foot three in trail transition. So big season coming up for Rudy, reputation-wise, lot staked on it. I'm not even going to get into the contract situations and if they have to trade Rudy or have to trade Cat, but also a big season from Rudy kind of gives them options in that perspective. You know, can Rudy increase his trade value um, by having a big season if they have to make a move? Um, Again, I'm flying through these quickly. We're already over an hour trying to cover a lot. I'm going to move into J-Mac, big J-Mac, Slim, Jade McDaniels. First things first, still no contract. I have mixed feelings about that. I understand it from both sides. I just hope that what we know of Jaden and him being emotional and at times emotionally volatile, I just hope that negotiations are going well because I don't think a sour Jaden McDaniels is a good way to start the season. I also don't think that he has to have a contract in order to not be sour. I just think that the communication and the negotiations have to be going well so that both sides understand where they're coming from and both sides agree with why there's not a contract signed yet if they don't get him signed uh before the regular before the i believe the 23rd is the deadline so if they don't get him signed before the deadline i hope it's a case of well he's not signed because him and his agent have more or less decided if you're not willing to meet this amount then we'd rather go into the season and play it out so that we can show that he's worth the amount that we're asking for we already know you value him because he's still here and you refused to include him in the Rudy trade and gave up more draft capital in order to keep him. So it's not a question of whether or not the Wolves value Jaden McDaniels. Hopefully the conversations are about if you're not willing to meet this amount, then we're willing to go into the season and play for the proof, so to speak. Hopefully it's not a there's hopefully there's not animosity starting to brew in the negotiations. Perfect world. 
they come up with something that's fair for him, fair for the team. They announce it like Tuesday morning and everybody is super excited going into Wednesday's game. That's a perfect world, I think, for the fans. Uh, maybe a perfect world for Jaden, perfect world for Coach Finch. Cause the only thing that worries me is if there's some negativity in these negotiations at this point. Um, and we know Jaden's an emotional guy. How will that affect his mood, his aura as he goes into the season? Other than that, the on court stuff. Jaden McDaniels just needs to rebound. He just needs to rebound, continue playing defense, continue improving to play defense without fouling as much, avoid the ticky-tacky touch fouls, avoid the little extra nudge that's unnecessary, be willing to maybe give up a two-pointer in transition in the first quarter so that you're not sitting on the bench in the fourth quarter. Um, You know, those little things just mentally grow and develop in a way in which you're managing how you play the game better, continue to shoot almost 40% from the three-point line, and more importantly, rebound the ball. If you go into the season with no contract, and if you're playing for a bigger contract, close circuit to Jaden McDaniels, go get five defensive rebounds a game and push the ball up court on three of those. Rip and go. Now you're making the decisions. Get some coast to coast up in there. That increases your user rate. Go get five defensive rebounds a game. Increase your user rate that way. Make it a total of seven to eight rebounds a game. Can you sneak two offensive rebounds a game in there? Because you should have size and size or positional advantage over whoever's guarding you on a couple of, for a couple of reasons. One, we know you're mostly going to be out in the corners or just at the break or just barely above the break out by the three-point line at 6'11", if you crash on the release, you should put yourself in position to go over the top and get a couple offensive rebounds the same way other guards and wings are going over the top of Rudy and Cat to get offensive rebounds on long shots. Now you get yourself two offensive rebounds a game, get yourself five defensive rebounds a game, rip and go on three of those five rebounds. Now you're getting seven rebounds a game. Now you're getting yourself up to 14 to 16 points a game. And now you can ask for $155 million. Plain and simple. That's what I would say closed circuit to Jaden. The key to the money that you might be seeking is get your rebounds up from two per game to seven per game. Limit your files early so that instead of playing 30 minutes a game, you're playing 35 to 36 minutes a game. And most importantly, you're on the floor in the fourth quarter with only three fouls. If you can do those things, now the Timberwolves have real decisions to make in terms of whether or not they're going to give you a max contract because everything else is there. We know you have more offensive game. We know that your shooting is steadily increasing and improving. I truly believe you are a 40% three-point shooter for the quality of shots that you're going to get. Can you rebound the ball, rip and run? Can you stay on the floor 35 to 36 minutes a night? 
Can you sneak a couple offensive rebounds and put back in? Can you increase your user rate organically by doing those little winning things on top of being an efficient shooter on the kickouts or an efficient attack closeout guy? If you can do those things, Jaden McDaniels, if you don't get paid before the season starts, before the deadline, and you do those things, they're going back up to Brink's truck at the end of the season because you're not going anywhere. You know you're not going anywhere. You know they're going to match anything anybody offers you in restricted free agency. So we, you know you're going to be here. And maybe that's why he doesn't have a contract yet. Maybe he knows I'm going to be here. So there's no point in taking a number less than I feel like I can go out and earn if I'm going to be here either way. We really got to speed up. I know. I know. We're getting close to an hour and a half. We're covering a lot. Stay with us. Uh, Coach Frank here on the Coach and the Culture podcast. We're down to our last two players. Um, and I'm running through these because there's going to be all kinds of player um, previews and season previews this week coming up. So I'm just flying through them fast as we can on the Coach and the Culture podcast. Um, really more editorial really then then I'm dealing with like all the stats and the data. Ben Beacon's gonna give you the stats and the data and Dane's gonna give you a lot of the um a, a lot of the uh comparison and analogy. Um Britt's gonna give you the straight no chaser. This needs to happen or else <laughs> right. John's gonna give you the the inside scoop. Um, and we're just giving it the, 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 the boy links podcast and C and D are going to give you the, the clever humorous take with, with the, with, with much like myself, those opinions that you really got to go. Oh, yeah. I, I agree with that right there. Right. And I'm just trying to give you, you know, give, give, give it to you straight from the dome. Like we started this podcast. So Carl Anthony Towns. One, be healthy, be healthy. That means, you know, a little thing. If you notice Cat going back, in my opinion, to the FIBA games, he's falling differently. He's still falling. Cat gonna fall. But it seems like he's falling with an awareness of how to keep his wrists healthy. He's falling with an awareness of how to land on soft tissue, the buttocks, and not so hard as he hits the floor. Um, and I think that's important for him staying healthy. Cat's firing him up. From three, um, I hope he gets off eight to ten a game. I would love to see Cat get off eight to ten three-point shots a game. Let's just go six, ten and a half Steph Curry out there. Let's let him go. Let him fly. Uh, I love the fact that he seems to be making quicker decisions, attacking really quickly off the bounce. This is the grow-up season for Cat in terms of basketball-wise. This is the season we want to see him um, – from a maturity standpoint, be more low risk, high reward as opposed to high risk, high reward. Uh, I'd like to see him manage the game, understanding that I don't need highlights. I don't need to score 35 a game. I just need to do what needs to be done to win this particular game on this particular night. If it means it's a Jokic night, you know, 14 points, 14 rebounds and 11 assists because that's what's called for. So be it. If it means, okay, I got to go get 35 tonight because that's what it's called for. So be it. I would like to monitor his turnover numbers. Can Cat keep his turnover numbers to two or less per game? It might be unrealistic, 
But again, that goes back to that low-risk, high-reward basketball. I'm not worried about him defensively like everybody likes to talk about in the national media and bashes defense. I think he's better than he's given credit for. I think he's at least average, more than serviceable. I think much like we talked about with Nas, you know, the reputation that you get when you're learning your way through the league. And in Cat's case, learning his way through the league also meant having to expend a lot of energy, scoring a lot of points on offense. And so therefore not always maybe being willing to commit the energy to defense and you get a reputation. Um, but I think that he's much better defensively than he's given credit for. And at bare minimum, I think that he's got to, he'll be average out there. And if he's average out there with Rudy, you're talking about a top 10, maybe even top five defense. So, um, and rebounding, we got to get Cat back to being a double digit rebounder, being able to rebound long rebounds. Cat and Rudy don't both need to be standing under the basket while the ball's jumping over their head. So, if you're going to be playing out on the floor more, Cat, then you have to make the adjustment and go get those mid level to long rebounds um, that are bouncing over Rudy's head. So, we need Cat to get back to double digit rebounding, um, but more, but more so, just play with the joy. Just play with the joy. And that's my season take for Cat. If you can play with joy for 82 games, I just think that's going to go so far toward the energy um, and the potential of this team. And so that's what I'll be looking for from Cat. Are you playing with joy? Um, he's going to have some nights where he struggles shooting the three, but luckily for Cat, he knows how to get to the free throw line to offset some of that. He's going to be efficient. Cat's going to be the most efficient high-volume scorer that the Timberwolves have. If he's not, if Ant is more efficient than Cat as a scorer, then Ant's going to get the all-NBA check, and the Wolves are really going to be stupid good. I just don't see it yet for Ant. Cat is going to be the person that even on an off night when he shoots 35% from the field, he's still going to be efficient. Why? Because he's going to go eight for nine from the free throw line on those nights. So, um, you know, Cat might have a night where he shoots three for 13, one for three from three. So he's got, you know, two, four, seven points, but then he's got, 12 for 11 or 12 for 13 from the free throw line. And so then you add 12 free throws to that seven points. He's got 19 points on 13 shots and that's an off night. Right. And so, uh, he's going to have a few of those nights, but that's still efficient. Even if he's not shooting well, which is different than Ant, where if he goes three for 13, but he only goes three for six from the line, then now all of a sudden you got 10 points on 13 shots. Right. And so, um, that's what I mean by efficiency. Cat's going to be that dude. So we just have to hope Cat stays healthy so we can actually see what it all looks like uh, when when we have a healthy Carl Anthony Towns and a healthy Rudy Gobert on the floor. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about Cat. I think everybody knows what it is. Um, can he get up off the floor and not complain to refs and just get back on defense and play? How long does that sustain? You know, we tend to revert to our habits over time and over 82 games you know don't be surprised if the first five or six games you're like oh man cat seems to have a different focus like he's not complaining to the refs he's getting up and playing this looks good but will that sustain through games 60 through 65 so that'll be something else to watch out for with cat but i look for a big season for cat you know i'm not big on predicting numbers but you know i'm thinking an efficient 23 10 5 
you know, is going to, and, and that's, and the only reason I say a number as low as 23 is because I do believe the ball is going to move this year for this team. That I do believe they're going to spread the wealth. And so, um, and I don't believe Cat is going to get as many shots uh, or is need to take as many shots to be in that 28 point per game range, that 26 point per game range. But an efficient 23 and a half points per game, you know, if we can get 10 rebounds and four and a half, five assists out of Cat for a whole 82 games, I bet you they don't have a 23, 23rd ranking on offense if we get those numbers out of Cat. I bet you that offensive ranking next year or this season coming up is somewhere between eight and 11 minimum if we get that type of season from Cat and health all the way around. Um, so let's look for that from Cat and then, eh, you know, must see TV. Anthony Edwards, um, Zach Lowe on this ESPN article, um, and everybody else, but Zach Lowe pointed out, uh, that the, he, well, he listed, in his um his uh league pass rankings, the Timberwolves tied for Dallas essentially were the uh ninth most exciting team to watch on league pass. And let's be honest, the number one reason that they're in the top ten most exciting teams to watch is one Anthony Edwards. You know, leave no doubt. <laughs> and uh so that's you know that's who Ann is. He's going to be exciting. He's going to have efficiency problems at times because that's also who Ann is right now. But he is must-see TV. And this is my prediction to watch for Ant as it relates to the success of the whole team. We know Ant's going to score. He's going to score between 25 and 28, 29 points a game. It wouldn't surprise me if he didn't have a 30-point-per-game season if he shoots the ball well for a whole season or if he gets to the free throw line for a whole season. What I want is for Ant to be this year's version of De'Aaron Fox. What I mean by that is I want Ant to lead the league in clutch time scoring. I want Ant to be, if not lead the league in clutch time scoring, I want Ant to be a top three closer in the NBA. Come fourth quarter, I want Ant to average 10 to 12 points a game in the fourth quarter. That's what I would like to see out of Ant. If Ant is a top three closer in the league, the Timberwolves are going to be a top four seed. I'm stamping it. You heard it here first. If Anthony Edwards is a top three closer, one of the top three in clutch points, one of the top three in fourth quarter scoring, the Timberwolves will be a top four seed. In order to be one of the top teams in the league, you got to have a player that can get their shot, the shot they want, not the shot that the other team is forcing them, but the shot that they want and make them down the stretch of games. Ant has to be what Kobe Bryant called the Steph Curry riddle. That being... Kobe Bryant said about Steph Curry, what happens when the shot that they're trying to force you to take is the shot that you're comfortable taking? That's the riddle, right? What do you do when the shot that they're trying to force you to take is the shot that you're comfortable taking? Closed circuit to Anthony Edwards. You have to be the riddle. You have to be the player down a stretch of games where they are forcing you to take certain shots 
and you are comfortable taking and making those shots. And then you take them and make them. And if that's Anthony Edwards, the Wolves are a top four seed. And not only are they a top four seed, but if that's Anthony Edwards continuing through the playoffs, they are a legitimate threat to get to the Western Conference Finals. And then we'll see what happens after that. Yes, in a Western Conference with Denver, with Phoenix, with Bradley Beal, and a whole season of KD and Devin Booker, the Lakers, who I'm still not sold on like everybody else, but they're the Lakers. So we'll say the Lakers, Sacramento, basically also banking on continuity, the Golden State Warriors adding Chris Paul and a healthier Clay Thompson and an offseason in which they weren't playing in the finals and all the things people are going to point to with Golden State. A Memphis team that keeps flying under the radar that's going to be a problem once they get John Morant back. So it's being said, right? Um, I think the Wolves are a legitimate threat if Ant is a top three closer and a top three player in points per game in the fourth quarters. If he's this year's NBA version of De'Aaron Fox with everything around him, I think that's got to be, that's got to be the key, you know, for Ant. Will he get his teammates involved? more the over the head hook pass lob that he threw to Rudy in the last preseason game will that be a uh, a preview of things to come because if they start developing any type of symmetry and chemistry together between Ant and Rudy as it's been said on this podcast and every other podcast for the last year game changer um but even within all of that for the pros and cons the strengths and weaknesses um, the excellence and the flaws of this team. Give me Anthony Edwards, top three closer. Give me Anthony Edwards, top three and fourth quarter points in the NBA. And I'm putting my money on the Wolves being a top four seed if those two things hold true and they're healthy. So that's my player preview, starting with Coach Chris Finch. Um, Sid, Sidney Lowe or Zach Lowe said it best. Almost called the man Sidney Lowe. <laughs> Zach Lowe said it best on his um his league pass preview. I love this quote. For the love of purple rain and the basketball gods, stop fouling wolves and get a damn defensive rebound. I think that that should go on the wolves locker room. <laughs> that should that should go. That should be like the last thing they see. They should jump up and slap that on the ceiling overhanging the tunnel before they come out of the tunnel for every game in the Wolves locker room. That quote right there sums it up for every Wolves fan, probably for Chris Finch. Um, because if they do those things, oh my goodness, the sky is the limit. The sky is the limit for that, te- for this team. Um, and in a West where Depending on what you're looking at, they could be, they're picked to finish second. They're picked to finish out of the playoffs, depending on what you're looking at. And I think that, you know, that range, you can make an argument for any of the above. I would also venture to say you could make that argument for almost every team in the Western Conference, not named Denver and not named Denver. 
<laughs> I mean, like even with Phoenix with Booker and KG and I mean KG K, KD. Wow, it's a Sunday. It's not even late. And KD and Bill, you know, will that team have enough on the bench? Will they have enough depth? What happens if one of those guys get injured? What happens if two of those guys get injured? I mean, injuries is always the caveat. Um, you know, the Lakers. Will AD and LeBron hold up for a whole season for a second season in a row? The starting lineup they're tossing out there, will they ever get a stop? Or are they just planning on matching baskets with everybody they play? Um, you know, they could finish a top two seed, but I could also see a world in which the Lakers finish out of the playoffs and the whole NBA world acts like the sky has fallen because it acts like it revolves around the Lakers. Um, you know, um, I could see a scenario in which Sacramento continues going forward. I could also see a scenario in which they don't have the health they had last year and the gauntlet that is their conference. I mean, that is their division catches up to them. Um, and they finish out of the playoffs. I could see a scenario in which the New Orleans Pelicans are a top one or two seed. If Zion is healthy and in shape and Ingram and CJ McCollum and, 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 and big Z, um, uh, our big V Valentunas, um, you know, I can see a, a, a situation in which New Orleans is right there competing for a top two seed. And I can also see a situation in which another Zion injury followed by Zion out of shape for another season, which has become an annual rites of passage becomes demoralizing to that team. And they end up not even making the playoffs. So, there's so many, I mean, there's so many ways that the West could possibly go. Um, to preview the whole West would be a whole nother podcast. And we've already expended well past our time. And this particular podcast is talking about the Wolves players and talking about coach Chris Finch and talking about, you know, where I think they might finish. So prediction time as we get ready to close this out, Lloyd. 47 wins. And I think 47 wins is going to be good for the three seed this year in the West. Yeah. I'm going to predict that the Wolves finish if they're healthy. I'm going to put the asterisk if healthy because last year I didn't put that asterisk out there and I feel like they would have met my prediction last year. Which is, yes, a, a win less than I predicted them to win last year, but obviously higher in the standings than I predicted them to be last year. So 47 wins um, and a three seed in the West because I just think the West is going to be ugly like that. And I don't think the East is any slouch either, so it's not like you can go get fat off of the East. I just think the NBA is going to be a bloodbath across the board this year. And so... That's my prediction, man. 47 wins, three seed. Um, however, if Anthony Edwards <laughs> is a top three closer and top three in the NBA and fourth quarter point scored, dare I say that they could end up atop the West, maybe a two seed. Because what we know is even with all the troubles they had last year, they match up with Denver, they match up with Golden State, they match up with Sacramento, 
They match up with the Lakers. All of those teams, they were beating those teams last year. It was the Spurs that minus the alien <laughs> that they were struggling with last year. It was, you know, the Oklahoma Cities they struggled with. The Orlandos and the Charlottes they struggled with last year. The Houstons that they struggled with for some reason last year, even though they, they did pretty much whoop on Houston. You know, but so I think they know they match up with anybody. But that just doesn't mean that it's going to equate to, like I said, more wins than I predicted they win last year because it's going to be night in and night out. They have to hold home court. Target center's got to be rocking. They have to win home games this year. I think winning home games is going to be really, 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 really important because winning road games is going to be really tough while everybody understands the value of home games. So they have to be a good home team. They have to be one of the better home teams in the league, um, which would be exciting for Timberwolves fans and for people here in Target Center and in, in, in Minnesota and attending the games in Target Center. But they have to win home games. Vital. So... That's my predictions. A little bit all over the place. More just conversational. I'm just talking my shit today. But I wanted to get it in before this week, before the opening night. Toronto on the road Wednesday, followed by the home opener, October 28th, Saturday, Miami Heat. Uh, Jimmy Butler ain't going to play. I'm just going to put that out there. He avoids playing here. <laughs> yeah, he, he he just avoids playing here. He'll find a reason to not play. He don't want to give the fans anything that, you know, he don't want to give the fans what they like. He'll find a reason not playing. I don't know. It, it, that doesn't guarantee a Wolves win, but he won't play. I'll be surprised if he plays. If he, if, if he plays, I might buy tickets. <laughs> I might go to the game. Just to be in the arena and, 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 and listen to the fans act a fool. Call him all kinds of names. States, mm-hmm. right so you may not, you know, you saw him with, it, with his head, no, he's he in his emo stage right now. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. So that's what I say. He might not play. Might He might take a mental health day game two of the season. Then they go to Milwaukee October 30th. Then they come home with Denver. I'm predicting that's a win. Putting it out there. I'm not going to predict all the games, but I'm predicting Wednesday, November 1st, they beat the Nuggets. Just my thought. Then they got the Jazz and the Celtics. That's quite a homestand right there, boy. Denver, Utah, and Boston. You get Denver and Boston coming in here. Then they go, uh, no, then they got New Orleans coming in here. So, man, nice little, nice little four game stretch. Three of those teams are have high expectations, so we're going to find out where we're at early in the game. High expectations. And then they go to San Antonio. They get their first look at uh, what, what, what did Robin Harris say in, uh, in, in, his, in his house? At test tube, baby. I swear to God they grew that boy in a test tube, man. That, that dude's not human. I want to see his DNA, man. I want to see his genetic charts, man. Hey, they they doing something. They doing some 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 uh mad scientist stuff in France, man. And no way somebody should be seven five, moving like he's five eleven, shooting like he's six one. That only make any sense. 
with an eight foot wingspan. <laughs> Goodness gracious, this is stupid. <laughs> the NBA's in trouble. Yeah. Look, there's not going to be any room for guys under six foot three no more. It's going everybody like parents are going to start injecting their kids with growth hormone and stuff. It's ridiculous, man. Trying to grow the next thing you know, there's going to be some guy that's seven foot eight playing point guard in the league in twenty years. <laughs> they got back to back with uh, Golden State, uh, and then uh, both of the games at Chase Center, then the Phoenix Suns, and then New Orleans again, then the Knicks, 76ers, Sacramento, Memphis, Oklahoma City. Are you getting the picture, people? Are you getting the picture? There are no off nights in the NBA this year. There are no off nights. So you have to win your home games. And that's what it amounts to. My prediction though, this is going to be, this is going to be another sneaky one. I think the Wolves are going to start seven and three and it's going to be good vibes. I think they're going to start seven and three. It's going to be good vibes. Kendrick Perkins is going to be talking about them. Talking about how I told you the big, two big things will work. They just needed to give them time and people needed to have patience and yada, yada, yada. And then we're going to see how well they handle success. We're going to see what happens when all of a sudden, when they start talking about the early season surprises, and they're going to talk about the Wolves record and who they've beaten to get that record. And then we're going to see how well they handle success. Anthony Edwards is going to be the darling. They're going to be talking about how Cat is, I've got something to prove. Those are going to be all the narratives when the Wolves start off seven and three. And then we'll see what happens from there. So coaching the culture podcast. I'm coach Frank. We got Lloyd Leon Coop in the building. We could do this all day. Probably could have made this two shows. Hopefully you stayed with us and uh, listened to the whole rant about the Timberwolves, the player preview, and a little bit of the season, a little bit of the West. Man, we're back at it. We're going to do this thing. We're going to try to do this thing weekly, man. We're doing this weekly, Lloyd? Trying to do it weekly. Yeah, I'm with it. Sunday, we're going to be on location every other Sunday, do some video. Got a nice little new studio set up that we're going to be debuting this season. So we'll be we'll be live on video every other Sunday, and then we'll be coming at you through Zoom the Sundays that we're not live. So stay with us. Again, big shout-outs to the whole Minnesota Timberwolves podcast family, uh, Becoming Family, all the different podcasts that are bringing you to Timberwolves from a different angle. Lloyd, super producer, Leon Coop. I'm Coach Frank. Can't wait to be back. Next time you hear from us, the Timberwolves will have played a couple games and we'll have a sense of what it's all going to look like when it's real. Thank you all for tuning in. Check us out on Twitter. Send me feedback. Check us out on uh, Instagram, at Coach uh, Culture on Instagram, at Coach Crooner, still on Twitter. We're working on getting it fixed. The Coach in the Culture uh, podcast on Facebook. DM me. Reach out. Let us know your thoughts. Timberwolves, let's go. Peace.